Please listen carefully. Salutations, toppers, and welcome to today's episode of the Turn of Phrases podcast. I thank you for giving me some of your time today, and I hope this episode finds you well. Today is the third installment in our Sense series, and we're looking at phrases related to smells and noses. Just a quick warning, there are a few sentences in today's episode that might be considered too graphic for younger toppers, so you may want to give it a listen first if you're listening with your kids just to make sure you're okay with it. Now, by the end of the episode, you should know more about today's phrases, origins, history, and more. Let's begin with keep your nose to the grindstone, which means to work hard. There are two main theories for this one, one having to do with milling and the other having to do with sharpening knives. The first one is thought to have come from the idea that millers would check their grindstones to make sure they weren't getting too hot by leaning in close and sniffing the stone. As long as they didn't smell burning, the stone was not too hot. While this could work to spawn the phrase, the biggest issue with it is that in old-timey times, most people called the stones used by millers millstones, not grindstones. Therefore, it's not likely to be the true origin of the saying. So let's look at knife sharpening. I've sharpened a few kitchen knives in my day, and I usually hunch over at least a little as I move the blade back and forth on my grindstone. So it's not hard for me to imagine someone sharpening large blades, especially with big spinning grindstones, as bending over enough to really be close to the stone. In 1532, we find the following in A Mirror or Glass, written by John Firth, an English writer, Protestant priest, and martyr. He wrote, quote, This text holdeth their noses so hard to the grindstone that it clean disfigureth their faces. End quote. This sounds terrible to have your nose ground off, but some people think this actually backs up the knife-sharpening theory. Bending down every now and then to sniff a stone doesn't sound all that bad, but spending all day hunched over a stone sounds more than a bit rough on your back. One other theory I read has to do with the fact that sandstone gives off a pleasant smell, something like lavender, and so it became popular for grindstones. Supposedly, if the grinder got tired, he could lean down and sniff the stone, be revitalized by the smell, and then continue his hard work. This potential origin comes from a study done by the UCLA Etymological Research Department, but I didn't find it anywhere else. As with many phrases, this one likely came from some combination of these main theories, rather than one all by itself. However it entered the vernacular, After that print usage of 1532, it continued to be used and remained a way to refer to hard work. Now, I've already mentioned losing your nose, so let's look at another phrase about that. The saying, cut off your nose to spite your face, means doing something self-destructive as an overreaction to something. It's a warning about not hurting yourself further just to get revenge on someone for something they did to you. 
This one can be traced back to a Latin saying from the year 1200. But since I don't speak Latin, I'll share with you the English translation. He who cuts off his nose takes poor revenge for a shame inflicted on him. To really look at where the idea came from, we need to go back further into old-timey times. In 1867, Vikings landed in Scotland, and there they attacked Coldingham Monastery. Legend has it that the nuns feared what the invaders might do to them, and so the Mother Superior, Sister Abby the Younger, also known as St. Abba, gathered up all the nuns. She told them what they should do to keep themselves from being attacked, and then did it to herself. She cut off her own nose and upper lip so she wouldn't be attractive, and all the others did it as well. When the Vikings saw all the nuns covered in blood, they didn't attack them, so that part worked. However, they did lock them all up in a room and burnt the building down, so it didn't save their lives. Whether or not this is a true story, there are various stories out there about women disfiguring themselves for protection, and this idea is part of the history of the saying. Another supposed piece is that in the Middle Ages, people often cut off other people's nose as an act of spite or revenge. So it's not hard to see how this could lead to a saying about cutting off one's own nose being related to spite. The nose has not been the only body part to be self-removed for spite. In good old John Haywood's A Dialogue Containing Proverbs and Epigrams from 1562, he included the following under an entry titled Of Spite. Quote, if there be any, as I hope there be none, that would lose both his eyes to lose his foe one, then fear either be many, as the world goeth, that would lose one eye to lose their foes both. End quote. In 1796, the English antiquary, draughtsman, and lexicographer Francis Gross published the classical dictionary of the vulgar tongue, which included, quote, He cut off his nose to be revenged of his face said of one who, to be revenged on his neighbor, has materially injured himself. End quote. So from tales of Vikings to Latin sayings to books of proverbs and slang dictionaries, this saying has a long history, and I doubt it'll go away anytime soon. So with that, let's move on. The last few sayings of the day might be considered turn-of-phrases tidbits, as they are a bit shorter than the last two. The saying, no skin off my nose, means that something doesn't matter to you, or you aren't going to put any effort into something. Although there isn't much definitively out there about this one, it's sort of the opposite of put your nose to the grindstone, so I wanted to include it today. There are three main theories I found, although none of them can be proven to be the true origin. One has to do with the grindstone itself. Since working hard and putting your nose to the grindstone meant you'd lose some skin from the edge of your nose, having no skin off your nose just became the opposite. No grindstone, no hard work, no skin off your nose. Another theory comes from a 16th century cult in England that the king wanted disbanded. The cult would meet in secret and would have a small hole in the door. You had to stick your nose through the hole, and if you didn't have a mole drawn on your nose, then they knew you weren't a member and would slice a bit of skin off your nose. This one doesn't really fit with the meaning of the phrase, though, so in my opinion, it's the least likely. 
The final theory I found has to do with boxing, supposedly, but I couldn't find anything to back it up. Since the origin is ambiguous and I couldn't find a first use in print, that's why I'm considering this one a turn of phrases tidbit. Now let's get suspicious. If you suspect someone of something, you might say you smell a rat. Smelling in general has been used for quite some time to describe being suspicious. In Shakespeare's King Lear, written in the early 17th century, he included, quote, Do you smell a fault? End quote. Rats might come into this smelly saying because, well, they stink when they die. Since rats tend to crawl into small places to make their homes, this also means they sometimes perish in those small places. As they decay, the bad smell increases, and if the small space they died in was somewhere in your home, you're going to smell it. However, you may not know the source of the smell, you just know something smells bad. Ergo, you become suspicious of the smell. Now, the problem I have with this idea is that everything stinks when it dies, and rats aren't the only animal that might make its home in or under yours. So why did they get the bad-smelling rap? I couldn't really find a reason why. One other theory I found has to do with rat hunting, with cats. An English poet named John Skelton is credited with writing The Image of Hypocrisy in 1540, although this authorship is debated. Whomever penned it, they wrote, quote, But then beware the cat, for if they smell a rat, they grisly chide and chat. End quote. Maybe the true origin is some combination of these theories, but either way, let's move on to something that smells a little better. A rose by any other name would smell as sweet means that no matter what you call something, it doesn't change what it is. This is thought to have come from Shakespeare, although whether he created the saying or just made it more popular is unknown. He used it in Romeo and Juliet in 1590 and wrote, quote, What's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. End quote. That's really all I found out about this one. Everyone seems to pretty much agree that's where it came from. But I do have one more tiny tidbit about roses to share. Stop and smell the roses means to slow down and enjoy life. Who said it or wrote it first seems to be unknown, but some people attribute it to a golfer named Walter Hagen. It supposedly came from his 1956 book, The Walter Hagen Story, which read, quote, you're only here for a short visit. Don't hurry. Don't worry. And be sure to smell the flowers along the way. End quote. He just said to smell flowers in general, so he didn't use the exact phrase of stop and smell the roses. How roses got the spotlight in the saying is uncertain. But now, if someone tells you that Walter Hagen coined this phrase, you can let them know that's not quite right. That's all I got, so now it's time for today's Familiar quotation. Toppers, today's familiar quotation is from Patrick Suskind. Quote, Odors have a power of persuasion stronger than that of words, appearances, emotions, or will. The persuasive power of an odor cannot be fended off. It enters into us like breath into our lungs. It fills us up, imbues us totally. There's no remedy for it. 
end quote. Thank you, Mr. Suskind, for giving us today's familiar quotation. All right, toppers, it's time for today's For Better or For Words, Love Advice from Old Timey Times. Remember that this advice is over a hundred years old, and I'm sharing it for entertainment purposes only. Now, let's hear from the ladies first. Don't check your husband's high spirits. Let him sing at the top of his voice in the bathroom or whistle out of tune on the stairs and be thankful for a cheerful man about the house. And now for the men. Don't fall into the habit of regarding your wife merely as the mother of your children. There is no need for her to cease to be your chum because she is a mother. But if she finds that you tend to relegate her to a back seat, she will gradually allow the children to absorb her more and more. All right, toppers, that's going to do it for today's episode. Thank you for lending me your ears today to turn some phrases. As I always do, I hope you enjoyed the episode and that you learned something along the way. Check out my website, turnofphrases.com, to find out information about the show's social media, for details about the music I use in the show, and much more. Also, check out the show notes for links to the Podfix network and to my merch store. If you had a good time listening, please consider subscribing or leaving a rating and review. Last but not least, if you know someone who'd enjoy the show, please tell them about it to help spread the word. Thanks again for listening to the Turn of Phrases podcast. Researched, written, hosted, and produced by me, Brisky. Until next time, toppers, stop and smell the roses any chance you get. Toodaloo! Let me rephrase. Supposedly, if the grinder got tired, he could lead down. Da- no, he could le- he could lean down and sniff the stone. Be re- this potential origin comes from a study done by the UCLA at a, at. A, oops. However, it truly entered the vernacular. It contained no. This has been a transmission of the Podfix Network. For more about this show and other great Podfix programs, go to podfixnetwork.com.